Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, the text will be up on the screens behind me. If you prefer a physical Bible, there are some in the racks below the seats. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take those, one of those home with you. We believe that God speaks to us through his word and that it's impossible to truly know him without reading your Bible. So if you take that Bible and truly start to read it, we'll call that a win. <laughs> All right, so Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was a major port city on the west coast of Asia Minor, and it was a hub of both trade and religion. Paul had spent almost three years living and preaching in Ephesus. He helped build the church in Ephesus so that it was flourishing and large. Paul wrote this letter while sitting in jail in Rome. He wanted to reinforce his teachings by reminding the Ephesians of the great love that God has given us. He also wrote this letter to the church he had helped build to warn them. He was worried that false leaders would soon rise up. This letter is broken into two major parts. In the first half, Paul explains who we are in Christ. The second half is where Paul explains how we should live in Christ. Our passage today is at the tail end of the first half. So, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul's second word in this passage is the word you. Although this letter is addressed to the church in Ephesus, Paul is addressing a far greater audience than them. He's also addressing each and every person, not only in his time, but throughout all of eternity. While addressing this massive audience, Paul puts each one of us on trial. He says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There's some power behind this statement. He doesn't mean that we were physically dead. Yet still, if someone tells you that you are dead, you start to get a little worried. Paul is telling us that we are spiritually dead or separated from God. Paul tells us that we are not only dead, but we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The word trespasses means to slip, fall, deviate, or go in the wrong direction. The word sin means to miss the mark. In a biblical sense, it means that we miss the mark or have fallen short of God's glory and holiness. In their most basic senses, sin is fallen, failing to glorify God, and trespasses are committing an offense against God. We can all agree that the world is full of problems. There are issues like poverty, crime, hunger. Each person could easily list off multiple problems that they see daily in the world, but all of these problems stem from one massive problem, sin. We were dead in our sins. We were born dead, and we just keep digging a bigger hole. We had trespassed against God. We crossed the line and just kept on going. We were in direct defiance of his commands. Verse 2 talks about how we followed the course of this world. Since the fall in Genesis 3, we were all born sinners. After Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we were destined to live a life full of trespasses and sins. Our sinful acts do not make us sinners. Instead, it is because we are sinners that we commit sinful acts. We seem not able to avoid it. It is by nature that we are sinners. Since the fall, men are controlled by the world's influences. The unsaved adopt the values, habits, and morals of their culture. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John says, Do not love the world or the things in, this, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Following the course of the world is walking in the complete opposite direction from God. Paul refers to the devil when he says we follow the prince of the power of the air. He says that we had fallen under Satan's control, completely ignoring what God had to say. We were not possessed by Satan, but we live in the world of darkness where he holds sway. Satan tempts us and deceives us each and every day, and we have become susceptible to these temptations. To follow the course of the world and follow the prince of the power of the air, we are thinking and living according to the ways and standards of Satan. We held our earthly desires over God's commands. We were set on a path away from God and towards our selfish concerns. Verse 3 states that we were by nature children of wrath. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve, and therefore we have inherited their sinful nature. We were doomed since birth and left for ourselves. There was no hope for us. God is holy, and he will accept no excuses for our sins. We will be punished for our sins because God is a just God, and he cannot just sweep our sins under the rug. There's one redeeming factor about these first three verses, and that is that Paul is talking in the past tense. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Paul knew that this was not the end for the church in Ephesus, and it is not the end for all Christians. Paul starts verse 4 with two simple yet two redemptive words, but God. He spent the first three verses of this chapter tearing us to pieces. We were children of wrath, following the course of the world and following the prince of the power of the air. We were dead. We had no way of helping ourselves. We were walking in complete disobedience of God, following our selfish desires. But God. We could stop there and those two words would be enough. But we aren't going to do that. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the first few verses of this chapter, Paul tells us that we cannot stand on our own. We are nothing by ourselves. But God, once again, steps in to save the day. He reaches out his hand and brings us into his home. We were dead. We were enemies of God. Yet through his grace and mercy, we are now alive. When we become a Christian, we are not simply becoming a better person. When we become true followers of God, we become a new person. We are no longer alienated from him. We are now alive together with Christ. We now have an everlasting home in heaven with God. We can now seek godly things. We are seated with God on the throne. We no longer have to succumb to Satan's temptations. We seek for things above this earth rather than on this earth. The one who truly desires to know God and to be like him will seek the things that are above. God promises us immeasurable riches once we enter his heavenly home. When we devote our life to Christ, we are removed from this realm of sin and death. We are no longer in Satan's dominion. We are brought into God's home and blessed with everlasting glory and riches. Verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. There's four key words in this chunk of scripture. Kindness, grace, faith, and saved. Those four words show how God saved us, not because of our works, but through his compassion. Our works will never be good enough for God. We will never be able to deserve God's grace. Anything we ever do will never amount to God's glory. Our faith is given to us by God. A dead man has no way of saving himself, just like spiritually dead people have no way of saving themselves. God had to breathe life into us before we could ever truly live. Therefore, our works, no matter how good they might be, will never be worth God's grace. But Paul does not totally discredit good works. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Paul instead tells us to do good works in the name of God. No good works will ever produce salvation but it is our salvation that produces good works. God saved us for a reason. We are commanded to manifest God's glory, and we cannot do that through our good works. Our good works are not the roots of salvation. Instead, they are the fruits of salvation. Our faith without good works is dead. We were told in James chapter 2 that faith apart from works is useless. Verse 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. God saved us for a reason, and that reason is to do good works in his name in order to bring him glory. In these ten short verses, Paul does this cool thing of breaking down our old flimsy foundation and rebuilding a firm, sturdy foundation in Christ Jesus. He tells us that we were dead, walking in the complete opposite direction from God. We lived under Satan's dominion, But God reached out his hand and brought us into new life. We now live under God's dominion. Jesus bore our sins through his death on the cross. We are now called to live out our salvation through God's work. We are called to show others what life is like with God. God did not save us so that we could pursue earthly desires. He saved us so that we can do good works in his name. So how do we respond to God this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, press into him. You are not able to stand alone. You need Jesus so that you can stand. God gave us his grace and showed his compassion. As followers of Jesus, we need to repent of our trespasses and sins and thank God for his gift of salvation. We also need to respond by showing the fruit of our salvation through good works. Make it so that your friends, families, co-workers, whoever you may see throughout this week, make it so that you are undeniably a follower of God. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you joined us today. If you're a visitor, we invite you to come back next week, and I promise you that it won't be me up here. (laughs) But if you're here today and you haven't devoted your life to God, we invite you to do that this morning. We want you to accept the free gifts of God's grace and salvation. In God, we are given new life. Trust God this morning. Devote your life to him. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We'll have some leaders up front to walk you through the next step in your faith, whatever that step may be. But let's all respond to God's words this morning. Dear God, thank you for saving us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, yet you are merciful 
and you've stepped in to save the day. We walk in the complete opposite direction from you, but you still love us. Oh God, we know that you are big and powerful and you can do anything. God, I'm glad you brought these people here today and help them show your love. God, use them to do good works in your name and bring them to your name. In your name we pray. Amen.